Welcome to the Nail Your Nutrition podcast, a podcast focused on training for endurance activity. I'm Sarah, a registered dietitian and toddler mom in the Washington, D.C. area. I write the blog Bucketless Tummy and focus most of my work on running and endurance athletes, as well as merging the principles of sports nutrition with the principles of intuitive eating. And I'm Marita, a sports dietitian and fellow toddler mom in Pensacola, Florida. I work with endurance athletes at my private practice, Eat to Compete. My goal is to help athletes learn to fuel their training with intuitive eating. We are two sports dietitians and moms here to break down the nutrition science to make training more fun and approachable for you. Whether you're a novice athlete, a weekend warrior, a mom trying to fit in a consistent exercise schedule, or a top finisher at big races, we want to help you understand the importance of fueling well. We're so glad to have you here and would appreciate you spreading the word or sharing this episode or podcast with a friend, family member, training partner, coworker, or anyone you would think would enjoy it. If you have a minute, please leave us a review wherever you subscribe to your podcast as that really helps the show. Now let's get to today's episode. Welcome to the Nail Your Nutrition podcast. Today we have part two of Sarah's BQ. Last time we touched on how she picked her BQ, her training, touched on a little bit of fueling, but today we're going to dive into taper and race day, race week, and how the race actually was executed. I know a lot of people's goals are to BQ and only about 4% of marathoners, I believe, actually achieve that goal. So we are super excited that Sarah has achieved that and to pick her brain on all things BQ. Let's dive in. Sarah, tell us all about the taper. Do you get taper crazies or did you embrace it? (laughs) I know that's a thing. A lot of my clients have so much trouble just sitting still and getting anxious. I think for the second marathon, it wasn't really as much of an issue for me. For the first one, you don't really know what you're doing. So you're used to training and then you just kind of stop or slow down. So I think at that point, I was a little bit more anxious or nervous, like, oh, no, I'm going to lose fitness in this short taper period before the race. Yeah. Uh, As I mentioned in the last episode, I just had a lot more confidence going into this one. And it was a pretty fun destination. I had never been to Utah. So there was a lot of excitement in planning for that. So I think that all helped kind of keep me more relaxed and not focus on not doing as much exercise as normal. I was trying to stay the course. Remember that I was I had to acclimate my body too. So we we went out to Utah probably like three or four days, three days before the race. So not a ton of time, but a few days early. Um, And I think I talked about last episode how I felt dehydrated the whole time. So I was really focused on drinking water. And that week, that taper week, I mean, I probably only ran eight to 10 miles the week of. It was very easy. And they were just an easy recovery pace, like nine minute pace. And my goal marathon pace for reference was between 750 and 805. That was that was how to get the 335 marathon time. Okay. So I know some people recommend like running like the Friday before the day before your race. Like, did you do that? Do you do a shakeout run when you were there? Tell us about that. I did. I, I, for all of my marathons, I've done a very light run the day before the race and it's just like two miles, but it's more so to get the jitters out and do something like keep my legs fresh, but not be on them. And I try not to stay, walk around a lot that day or be on my feet. I don't even remember what we did in Utah, to be honest, the day before the race. I think 
we did, we were driving from maybe like Salt Lake to Ogden. The race was in Ogden, which is like really in the mountains. And we had to go pick up our bibs and go to the expo. So obviously you're on your feet for a little bit there. Yeah. And that night for dinner, we're in a new place. So of course there's like all new options. We didn't bring any food from home, but we found a pizza place. And Rita and I have talked about pizza multiple times, but we eat pizza pretty regularly, so I didn't think there would be any issues for me. It's carb-heavy. It's sodium-rich, and we just got, like, a grilled meat on it. I mean, it might have been grilled chicken or something, and it was fine. Um, I've had pizza before for a race day. I don't really have something I have to eat the same night before every race. I'm not that type A. I'm, I'm a lot more flexible, but in terms of being in a new place, I did want to make sure I had at least something that my body's had before. And that is one of my tips in terms of planning for destination races or just marathons in general is make sure you have something you like and something you've practiced with for a pre-race meal. So often we're looking at what we're going to fuel with during the race that we can forget about the the night before the race makes a big deal too, right? You just want to top off those glycogen stores and have everything feeling good. So we looked at the menus and the restaurants ahead of time. And at that point in time, I'm, I'm much less into this than I was five years ago because kids and busyness. But I used to like love going on Yelp and picking out restaurants and new places to try whenever we would travel. So I was on top of that <laughs> long before. I already had like donut places and everything picked out for basically our whole trip. So we we had that to look forward to. In terms of morning of, so we had the pizza, we just had it in the hotel room. It was like very low key. And Ed, my husband was also running the marathon that day, which was kind of cool. You know, it's not like we had to worry about one of us being loud at night. We both went to bed pretty early and I didn't have too much trouble sleeping. Some races I do, I know as, as runners do, we're thinking about the race and I slept pretty well. We did get up at 4.30, I think it was, or 3.30. So the bus left at 5 a.m. for the race. And there was like a bunch of different corrals and times for leaving. And I do not like to feel rushed in the morning. So I got up early, had my coffee. I had oatmeal with peanut butter. And I think I brought like little travel packages of peanut butter, like Justin's has them. And a lot of brands have them just because that peanut butter is a staple in my diet. It's great for travel, just for some protein to add to anything. And since we were at a hotel that had breakfast, I knew there would be oatmeal and bananas. So I didn't have to worry about that. But again, that's a great thing to look into ahead of time, especially when you're traveling, just to scope out if the hotel does have breakfast or I've also brought just dry oats on my own before and heated them up in my room. So whatever works keep it familiar. So I had breakfast probably at 3:45 and then on the bus, once we got to the bus, you basically took a bus up the mountain because you you were going up pretty high. I had a banana and a stroopwafel and water. So okay. that was a pretty good amount before the race, but this is kind of how I practiced before long runs and I knew I wanted just those extra carbohydrates right before just to have time to digest them. Yeah. So at this point, um, I think the race started at seven. So we were up at the top of the mountain, the bus, maybe it was like an hour. And it was actually pretty fun. We're talking to all of these people. Like you always have people who have run whatever race you're doing, like year after year for the last 
20 years and I'm always like why are you still doing this race aren't you sick of it but yeah they're just telling you oh it's like the most beautiful race ever you're gonna love it blah 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 and so I'm getting like all excited and we get to the top of the mountain and we still have like an hour to kill so I stayed on the bus it was freezing granted it's like six in the morning we're at the top of a mountain in Utah and it's May so um almost summer but still it was it was probably in the 30s And for clothing, I had brought just like a long sleeve shirt and a pair of gloves. And it was just like a trash shirt that I was going to throw off and leave. Uh And I think I had a earmuff running band type thing. So I got off the bus and I did like a few strides and went to the bathroom and then I was cold. So I got back on the bus and, and just kept warm. I think it was like 15 minutes before the race. Ed and I just went out and we were cold, but we were just getting in line, getting in the corrals, and just trying to get used to it. In my plan, I usually race in a tank top. I don't like running in sleeves, but I figured I would start with sleeves on. Did Ed line up with you? Was he going to run with you? I don't remember where we were in relation to starting together, but we didn't start together. Like He was ahead of me at some point for time. But actually, I got in the 335 pace group. Like as soon as I saw the person holding the sign, I was like, I'm just going to line up here and run. Because that was my goal the whole time was to run with the pace group. And then if and when I felt good, take the lead, like go ahead of the pace group. Because I knew I had to do sub 335 if I wanted to qualify. Okay. So he wasn't seated with you. But it was nice just to kind of be with him because I didn't know anyone. And I mean, runners are pretty friendly to begin with, but it was nice to just kind of like pump each other up because he's done probably seven or eight marathons. And he used to race semi-competitively after college, after he ran in college. So he had a lot of experience and he was just reminding me, keep your arms low, make sure you're leaning forward, just have fun with it, blah, blah, blah. So that was nice. And it's no joke, the beginning of this race, at least, as soon as the gun goes off and you start, like you're going downhill, you're just slowly making your way down the, down the mountain. And it wasn't steep, but it was just a slow progression. By mile three, I had to pee. It's, (laughs) I drank a lot of water and my body was still adjusting. And I was like, there's no way I can hold this for 23 more miles. So I peed. So I went really quickly um, into the porta potty and it was probably the fastest pee I've ever had, like a Shalane Flanagan <laughs> moment. And but then I had to pee again at mile seven. And at that point I was like, if I stop, you know how once you get going, if you stop, it's like painful. Like it's uh-huh. gonna be hard to get going again. So I was just like, I'm just gonna have to hold this. And eventually I stopped thinking about it, which was good. But yeah, so I ran with the 335 pace group for the first seven to eight miles. And the pace leader was wonderful. He was so funny and he really made, took any fear away. Like I wasn't really thinking about pace or running or meeting a goal. I was just laughing along and listening to him. Like it was just like, I knew I had known him for years. So, and everyone was kind of participating in the conversation. So it was a really fun pace group to run with. And at the same time, you're going down a Canyon and there's these majestic views. So it was really easy to not stress at that point. I was kind of just reminding myself like, look at this. This is so beautiful. How fun is this? Just run. Yeah. You, you feel great. So everything was going well. Did you have um, headphones in or were you just kind of chilling with the pace group? I did have headphones in, but I don't think I was listening to music at that point. 
because I always have them just in case because I'm someone who's like, I don't know, I, I certain music helps pump me up. But at that yeah. point, I wasn't listening to anything. I did turn music on at the last few miles because I needed to pick me up. And I was like, yeah. we're almost there. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about your in-race fueling. Tell us what you did during the race for fuel. Yes. So I was on a plan for every five miles I would take something. And that's always what has worked for me. So that's, that's about every 40 minutes-ish. So, And I rotated. I always do raisins or sour raisins. They're my favorite. Or dried apricots. And I did the honey stinger chews. So I had a roll of those. I had some Huma Plus gels. And I also had Tailwind in a water bottle. So I had a bunch of different options. Again, I had practiced with all of these, but I'm someone who is really sensitive to flavor and taste fatigue. Like I could not just take the whole thing, the whole race. I don't like the same flavor all the time. I like to mix things up. Mm -hmm. So every five miles, it, it would be a gel and then I would rotate to some chews. And when I take a gel, I should be clear, I'm not taking it all at once. Like I'm I'm just kind of sipping it for, for maybe a mile in total. So it's probably every like four miles I'm starting something. Okay. And I take water at every water stop. I've always done that. I just get a cup, take a sip or two and keep going. I did have my own little tailwind bottle too, but that that was done by probably a third into the race. Okay. Did you use a belt or how did you carry everything? Yeah, I use a belt and I, the little water bottle, I kind of just, I don't like holding it and yeah. it was bouncing. So I just stick it in the side of my pants. It's hard to oh, describe, nice. but I just, yeah. And it yeah. squeezes. So it, it would adjust well. Like it wasn't a hard back. It was soft. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I felt really good. I stayed with the pace group and at mile seven or eight, I went ahead and I kind of tried to talk myself out of that saying like, that's not in the game plan. Don't go out too soon. You still have a while ahead of you. But I honestly was just listening to my body. I was kind of like, this feels right. And I'm just gonna just run to run. And I always, one tactic that I use in races is I always just keep my eye on the person in front of me. And then when I pass them, I keep my eye on the next person. So that was just kind of mentally how I stayed in it. And it was just a really beautiful race. I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't have any cramping. I didn't have any bonking. Just the consistent fueling worked really well for me. I got rid of my long sleeve shirt. I don't know, maybe after mile 10, I had warmed up and I felt good. And at that point, I just had my tank top shorts and gloves on. And yeah, you you pretty much just slowly go down this mountain and I'll link my blog post here so you guys can see pictures because it is a gorgeous race. By the time you get to the bottom, it's hot. Like it's 10 a.m. and it's really, really hot. And I just remember kind of swerving through a park to get to the finish line and then you're ending in like the downtown area of Ogden, which was pretty cool. The crowd support was actually pretty good considering what I thought it would be considering you're on a mountain. It was actually pretty good, pretty decent. So I was drinking water every one and a half to two miles. I was getting my sodium through Tailwind and then Huma Plus gels. And I had kind of preloaded a little bit. Like, I don't think I said this, but I add a little salt to my oatmeal and salty pizza the night before. And then the week of, I'm eating carbohydrates, I'm eating sodium. It's just kind of a staple in my diet. Mm -hmm. 
So I took gels, gummies, dried fruit. I think the Huma Plus gels have about 240 milligrams of sodium in one versus 100 in a regular. And we usually say like 400 to 700 milligrams an hour. Yeah. And you need all that to hold on to the water, especially at altitude. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's another reason I was just taking a little bit at each water stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was my fueling plan. That's pretty similar to how I've always done it. Always in my three marathons. Uh, That's how I've always done it. After the race, I had Swedish fish. I had chocolate milk, pretzels, and chocolate covered raisins. They had a pretty good after section. Yeah. But yeah, so I think I had mentioned this to Marita, maybe off air, but towards the end of the race, there's, we're counting down, there's probably like two or three miles left and I'm trying to do math in my head to figure out, am I, am I going to hit this goal? Am I going to do sub 335? Like I was thinking I was around 333. I was trying to do the math with my paces and I was getting really caught up in it and I, and it wasn't adding up and I was starting to freak out. Like I'm ahead of the pace group. Like I'm feeling really good, but what's going on here? And those are the moments when like, you can't think like I'm, I was probably getting pretty depleted at that point. I was running on adrenaline and trying to do the math just wasn't working for me. So I don't know if any listeners can relate to that, but I totally remember feeling that way, like feeling like I was crazy. And then I saw the mile marker, like one mile left. And I was like, I could do this. I just have to hold it. And I remember being in pain that whole last mile, but just I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to change anything. I just, the crowd support was great. People were cheering and lining the park and lining the downtown area. So it was a really, really fun race. As soon as I crossed the finish line, Ed was there and he had qualified too for the men's. And then we ate a lot and had a massage (laughs) tent and it was just an exhilarating experience. And I wish I had been able to actually run Boston because I feel like I'm only halfway there. I haven't actually run the race yet, but at least I I kind of got the high from feeling like my hard work paid off, eating enough throughout all of this training, having enough rest days. I know I talked about kind of my training schedule and routine in, in the last episode, but I really, really feel like all of that made a difference for me. So what was your final time? 3.31.03, I think. And in order to qualify for Boston, you had to run under... A 335? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I know they've changed that now. They tightened it up. I think they did, yeah. And I think I'm yeah. in the new age group. I'm in a higher age group now than I was then. So that actually might work in my benefit. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's 18 to 34. You have to run a 330. But you almost always have to get in under that in order to actually run the race. So you still be Q, but in order to actually run the race because they have so many people who want to be cute and who mm-hmm. want to run the race, it's at least, sometimes it can be as much as five minutes under that, under the actual qualifier. Yeah, it's very, very competitive. And yeah. Ed actually did end up running the race in 2018, which if anyone remembers, it was cold and rainy. Did it yeah. snow? I don't know if it snowed. It rained the whole time. Des won. She was a Oh, champ. it was that race. Yeah. So I was oh. kind of like thankful. I was like, oh my goodness. Like that would have been miserable for my first Boston experience. Yeah. They have crazy weather every every Boston. They I do. Like. It's like really hot, yeah, hot. Or, or crazy mm-hmm. and cold. So I was at home. Cameron was like two weeks old at that point. So we were just watching oh, yeah. on TV. Crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Oh, that's sweet. So do you think you're going to try and BQ again? What are your goals? 
I would like to try again, for sure. I I don't know when my next marathon will be, but I, I feel like deep down the marathon is my my race. Like I love that distance. It's challenging and it really, every single race, I feel like I'm learning something about myself. But especially the point I am now, just about six months postpartum, give or take, depending on when this airs, it just puts into perspective how important it is to make sure my body is fully healed before going out for anything like that or or pushing the bubble before I'm ready. So I really want to make sure I have a strong base and foundation. But yeah, I've always wanted to just run Boston. It's one of those bucket list items. And I envision it happening. happening. Ed is my biggest supporter. And he's always said, um, you can get faster as a mom. Like after babies, women get faster all the time. He's like, you have a higher pain threshold once you've given birth. So it makes sense to me. Yeah, that's good to know <laughs> for those of us who haven't done that yet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so that was that. Just some other tips I wanted to share with you all is that. So I did not hire a running coach or pay for a plan. Ed had had experience in that and he made one that worked for me. But had I not, I would have invested in a running coach because, again, like a dietitian, I think let the experts do their thing. And yes, you can find all of these plans online for free, but they're not specific to your needs or your capability or your schedule or anything like that. So I totally think investing in a running coach is is a smart thing to do. And it's actually something I might do in the future. At the point in time when I did run this and I was training, I had a flexible job and I had no kids. So I was able to run at night and I know things would be different for me now. I would have to be much more disciplined. I would have to figure out how to make morning runs work. And it would just be a lot difficult now, not impossible, but I would have to switch things around a little bit more. I also... I'm a dietitian, right? So I had benefits of knowing about nutrition. Granted, I was like an N equals one experimenter on myself, but still I had knowledge of carbohydrates. I have access to studies. I was able to tap into the wisdom of other sports dietitians and colleagues. So that was another perk and plus that worked in my favor. I was not really able to train on the conditions similar to my race. I did talk about how I did a few downhill sprints but that was the best I can do. In an ideal situation, if you are able to train in a condition similar to your race, that's great. If you're not traveling, maybe the race is in your own state, that's ideal because the weather should be similar, the terrain should be similar. But whether it's hills, elevation, weather, the better you can simulate race day, the easier it'll be for your body to adjust. And then my other tip is don't overanalyze your pace and do math like I was doing because I feel like I really could have took my my head out of the whole race at that point when I was starting to get discouraged and and figure out why why am I not doing better than I thought I was so I was glad I was able to snap out of it but know that that's not anything you need to focus on while you're doing there there's nothing you can do about it you just got to keep running yeah they do have those like tattoos you can get that show you your pace that's true and I've seen them like a bracelet type thing too mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. think I think for the same reason, I would be too obsessive. Like, oh, no, yeah. my pace was one second above what that mile should have been. <laughs> well, and I think, too, you, you don't have to always get caught up in the numbers. Maybe your goal was to be Q or PR, and then it just wasn't your day, and that's okay. That's just a different kind of race. And it's hard to accept maybe in the moment, or, but then over the miles, maybe it gets a little bit more like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy this race. I'm not going to look at that bracelet or tattoo. I'm just going to just gonna finish out this race and 
see how I feel after. Totally. And that's the thing with sports and running versus like taking a test, right? So if you're studying for a test, you can pretty much control all of it. Like you know the information or you don't. A race, you can still do all of that preparation, but race day is just, it's a big question mark. There's so many things that are out of your control. Like you can't control the weather or the humidity, or if another runner bumps into you, you know, you can trip, you can do all of these things can happen on race day that even had you done everything you could to prepare, things could still happen and throw a wrench in your plan. So I think that's just what makes running running, right? We all keep coming back to it. There's nothing guaranteed. And you're always, while there's other runners out there, you're kind of always just quote unquote racing against yourself. Like it's going to be different every single time. Exactly. And you didn't, you didn't try to qualify with the Detroit marathon, right? Your goal was just for fun. Yeah, for fun. But it wasn't even in my head because I was 18 months postpartum, but my training's regimen for that race was crazy. Like we had travel every weekend. It just wasn't reasonable for me. So I kind of, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm just gonna do my first marathon after being a mom and just have fun with it. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I don't know if I would try to qualify on my next marathon either. Just like my first marathon back from having two kids. It might be, it might be years down the road for me, but it's there. I still have that desire. I have to get in a routine first and figure out life with two kids and what training looks like. It's hard. People who jump right back in, I'm like, I don't know how you do that, but some people can manage on less sleep and maybe have more help. Uh, I was just going to say, I can't without sleep. I, you're not going to see that no. from me. My training would for sure suffer. And we don't have the luxury of a whole lot of help either. Otherwise it'd be like, Hey, can you grandma come over for an hour and I go out the door. But I know we should do an episode on that, Rita, like um, support system Mm -hmm. necessary for running because we don't have family nearby either. Like we have been lucky to find a nanny and we have a daycare, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it still falls on On you, my shoulders and Ed's shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Well, Sarah, thanks for sharing all of that. I'm sure lots of gems and nuggets in there for people who maybe want to run that marathon. Maybe it's on their bucket list and then just want to know how you be cute on your second marathon. It's great. I would highly recommend the Ogden marathon. I would totally do it again. And I'm not someone who likes to run the same race twice. Nice. So that's, I speak highly of it, but yeah, I hope these tips were helpful. If anything resonates with you all, or you have any tips to add, we would love to see it. If you listen to this episode, take a screenshot and share it on social media. Let us know what your favorite tip was or what other tips you would add. And don't forget to leave us a review as every month we raffle off a free 30-minute call with one of us. And it's completely free. You can ask us any of your dying nutrition questions, training, fuel, anything. Thanks, everyone. That wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review so others can find it more easily. You can also stay in touch with us by joining our Facebook group, Nutrition for Runners. If you have any requests for future episode topics and more, email us at nailyournutritioncourse1 at gmail.com. Happy fueling! Happy fueling!